I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We never imagined that our lives would change so drastically. Nature's deadliest organisms. I had all these gut feelings that something was terribly wrong. They can hijack our bodies. I thought I was gonna die. Disable our immune systems. I mean, I was freaking out. And eat us from within. Once the virus reaches the brain, the survival rate drops to nearly zero. These things were inside of her, and they were coming out of her mouth. For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Lisa Mollett is a stay-at-home mom. She lives in the small town of New Iberia, Louisiana, with her five-year-old son, Keith, and her husband, Cody, who works in the local police force. I love being a parent. There's no feeling in the world like knowing a little person depends on you for everything. I've always wanted to be a dad because I had a very good childhood growing up. I always wanted boys. Both Lisa and Cody have a close relationship with Lisa's mother, Mitzi, who loves spending time with her daughter and grandson. I think that's when she's at her happiest, is when all the family's together. Lisa and Cody are looking forward to the arrival of a new baby just three months away. But one evening in late August, Lisa starts to feel unwell. I had a stuffy nose and a scratchy throat, and I wasn't feeling great. Colds are fairly common in South Louisiana, so I wasn't concerned. Cody goes to work the night shift, and Lisa takes flu medication before going to bed. About two hours after taking medication, I woke up still feeling feverish. I took my temperature again, and it was now 104. When I realized that the medication was not bringing my fever down, I became very scared. 
At this stage in her pregnancy, the fever could put Lisa's baby at risk. She decides to go to the hospital. She called me and she said, Mom, I need you to meet me at the hospital. And she kept coughing, you know, all through the conversation. When Lisa arrives, the doctors see her immediately. My exhaustion was so severe that it literally took everything I had to tell the doctors I needed something to drink. The doctors suspect Lisa has pneumonia and make a drastic decision about her care. It was about one or two o'clock in the morning and uh, her OB was called and he told them to go ahead and admit her. I had to call Cody on the phone that night and uh, I told him, I said, Cody, you need to leave and come up here. I mean, it was like, it, it was just impossible that she could be this sick this fast. For two days, the doctors treat Lisa with antibiotics. But by the third day, Lisa still isn't responding to the treatment. Her doctors are puzzled and run some tests to determine the cause of the infection. Lisa's oxygen level had dropped down to 60, and it should have been in the high 90s. They told me they were taking her downstairs, putting her in ICU, and that they were going to intubate her. Lisa's lungs have become so filled with fluid she can no longer breathe on her own. I was so exhausted that I told my doctors I didn't want to breathe anymore. And after that, everything goes blank for me. She was fighting the machine really hard. It really shook me up emotionally. And Lisa isn't their only concern. Unable to get the infection under control, Lisa's doctors think her baby could be at risk. The next morning, Lisa's contractions start. No matter what the doctors did, my body was not receiving enough oxygen, so essentially I started to reject the pregnancy. When the doctor came in, he said, if she doesn't stop the contractions, I'm going to have to take the baby. And I was like, no way, because there's, I mean, she's 26 weeks pregnant. You can't take the baby. And he turned around and he said, I'll have to take the baby. Despite the family's concerns, the doctors operate immediately. He said, the infection is too bad. We can lose Lisa or we can take the baby. And that way they both have a chance. I was freaking out. Within 10 minutes, the premature newborn is on life support. We couldn't hold him or see him, but we could stand in the hallway while they rolled him to another room. He was in a plastic bag to keep his body temperature up and, and hooked up to all these monitors. The baby weighed three pounds, two ounces. He was so tiny, he was almost transparent. They had told me that he would probably be blind. He would have a hole in his heart. I just couldn't accept it. I just couldn't accept it. They had said that, you know, his chance of survival was, was you know, basically 50-50. Seeing him for the first time, you know, I, I never would have imagined how something that small and can, can survive. As the baby fights for his life, doctors turn their attention to Lisa. But the day after her early cesarean, doctors uncover another problem. Lisa's doctor said that she had ran into some more complications. They explained to us that her lungs were uh, filling with fluid and... Uh, that her oxygen level was decreasing lower than it had been before. 
the infection is slowly suffocating Lisa. The doctor came in and he said, your daughter's lungs, the lining on her lungs is like the sheet of a Bible. It's that thin. And every time she coughs, she's ripping them. He said, well, the survival rate is only like 30%. I said, okay. Then, at the end of the week, doctors call Lisa's family in for a meeting. We were expecting to hear that she was possibly doing better or possibly they had come up with a game plan. They really didn't know what was causing all this and they had said that it was basically just a waiting game at this point. She wasn't gonna make it. Um, she was gonna die. You know, it, it was unbearable to think of me raising the boys by myself. But Cody refuses to give up. She was a mom and you know, she had a newborn baby who she still at this point had no idea that she had given birth to. I felt to myself that we needed more information and there was more that could have been done for her. My aunt worked for a critical care pulmonologist across town. So me and her started talking about possibly getting Lisa transferred to another facility. But the doctors tell Cody that Lisa is too frail to be moved. The doctor had said that there was no way Lisa would be able to survive uh, transporting to another hospital. Cody faces an agonizing decision. If she does die during the transport, would I be willing to, to live with that the rest of my life and explain that to our two sons? And I just looked at Cody and, and just at that point, I had to trust him. Cody decides to risk the transfer and arranges for a helicopter to transport Lisa to another hospital. The nurses just looked at us like, what, what are you doing? And Cody said, we're going to get her out of here and get her where we can get some help. Cody was desperate. I mean, he had all these decisions that he had to make and he just made them like a man. Before Lisa got on the helicopter, I just... I leaned over and I kissed her and I had her arm and I said, I said, I love you, baby girl. And uh, she was gone. Mother of two, Lisa Mollett is suffering from a mysterious lung infection and is barely clinging to life. Doctors say there's nothing more they can do, but Lisa's family refuses to give up hope and transfers her to another hospital. I felt to myself that we needed more information and there was more that could have been done for her. You know, it, it was unbearable to think of me raising the boys by myself. At the new hospital, doctors place Lisa back on life support. Infectious disease specialist, Dr. Elizabeth Barrero reviews the case. We had a very, very sick young girl here that had a life-threatening illness. The primary chest x-rays indicated that her lungs were basically shutting down, and it was critical that we try to save Lisa's life. Dr. Barrero and her colleagues start by extracting liquid from Lisa's lungs to see if it contains any clues to what is making Lisa sick. Two days later, Dr. Barrero gets the results. When they sat down and looked at us, I mean, you could tell by the grave look on their faces that what they had to say was not good. That was probably the only time that I just thought, you know, God, what happened? 
I came across a serious illness that uh, was causing all, all the, the problems Lisa was going through. The infectious disease doctor told us that what Lisa had was called Acinetobacter baumani. Acinetobacter baumanii is a deadly bacteria that preys on people with weak immune systems. The bacteria enters the body through breaks in the skin or mucous membranes and often migrates to the lungs and respiratory system. Inside Lisa's body, the bacteria have been secreting toxins, killing her cells one by one and severely damaging her lungs. Acinetobacter baumanii is a microbe that lives mostly in aquatic environments. But in recent years, it has emerged as one of the most deadly superbugs on the planet. Because the bacteria are resistant to most antibiotics, doctors are often powerless to stop it. Because of the multi-drug resistant pattern of this bacteria in particular, her life was definitely at risk. Doctors told us that uh, Lisa had a 2% chance of living. Lisa's mother thinks she might know how her daughter contracted the deadly superbug. I had heard about Acinetobacter baumani because my son was in Iraq. And that's when they told me, you know, it's they call it the Iraqi bacteria. So I'm thinking, oh my God, did he bring it in my house? Acinetobacter baumanii is a bacteria often called Iraqi bacter because it's affected military personnel in Iraq. But it's also known to exist in hospitals all over the world. And it can infect patients even in carefully controlled environments. Acinetobacter prefers moist environments and often enters the body through catheters or breathing tubes. But the doctors say it's impossible Lisa could have contracted Acinetobacter from her brother. They suspect she caught it in the previous hospital through a ventilator. Lisa may have only had a simple flu virus when she first got sick, but her decreased immunity left her vulnerable to a secondary infection. Now, she's fighting for her life. Lisa was just being torn up by this bacteria. It felt like we had hit rock bottom. We thought we'd never get Lisa back. We were trying to, to bring ourselves to the point where we'd have to accept that. To make matters worse, one of the only drugs known to combat Acinetobacter is a medication called polymyxin, which can have devastating side effects. You know, at, at, at some point, you just think it can't be any worse. For weeks, Lisa undergoes the punishing treatment. Then, as her condition slowly improves, she is taken off the ventilator. And something wonderful happens. We were sitting in her room, and, and she began to kind of stir around. She opened her eyes, and she looked at Cody, and she said, where's my baby? I didn't really understand where I was or what was going on, but I knew that I wasn't pregnant anymore. She started crying, and uh, I had told her that, that they had to take the baby. And so Cody grabs my hand, and he says, his name is Carson. And I said, how old is he? He said that Carson is two months old. And I started to cry. Despite his premature birth at six months, Carson is healthy. And three weeks later, Lisa meets him for the first time. One day, 
Dr. Barrero walked into my room. And she said, bring her babies. The bacteria is gone. You can bring her babies. They hand me this baby that weighs five pounds, six ounces. And he's little and beautiful. And I just cried. He fell asleep. And he was just beautiful and healthy. And that's all that mattered. Today, Lisa is healthy and happy as a full-time mother to her sons. But her ordeal with a Synodobacter has left her permanently damaged. I have some lung capacity issues and some things I deal with on a day-to-day basis. But overall, I'm healthy. Had Cody not stood his ground and stood up for me, then I would be dead. And I owe everything to him. It is estimated that tens of thousands of people die each year from acinetobacter infections. Antibiotic resistance develops when bacteria survive exposure to an antibiotic. Taking the full course of anti-antibiotic prescribed can help to prevent the emergence of deadly superbugs. A young woman comes face to face with a monster from within. I actually saw these things coming out of her. I thought I was going to die. Brittany McWilliams is a college student in Bryan, Texas. Living in a house near campus with her friends Mary and Nicole, Brittany enjoys socializing with her fellow students. I live in a big house with seven girls, and it's always fun and energetic. It's just like having a whole bunch of big sisters. Brittany is very energetic. She can't sit still. Brittany is the youngest in the house, and she's kind of our wild child. Despite having left home, Brittany also has a close relationship with her mother, Doris, who is a nurse in a nearby town. Brittany, she is very hardworking. She's an A student. Everything that she does, she puts uh, her heart into it and she gives it 100%. It's the beginning of the spring semester, and Brittany is spending one last day at her mother's house. Brittany always wanted to run when she came here. She liked to go to the track at her old high school. I have a lot of good memories there. I ran competitively with a lot of my close friends. But as Brittany starts her workout, she senses that something is amiss. When I was running, I felt like I wasn't getting enough oxygen. So in my mind, I was thinking, well, maybe you're just not as in shape as you thought you were. Brittany tries to push herself, but only feels worse. I started hearing this noise, and I was like, what is that? It was me wheezing. My body started aching, and so I just kept telling myself, get through this last lap, just get through it. That was the toughest mile I had ever ran, and I had never felt like that before. After the run, Brittany returns to her mother's house. She said that she had started feeling bad as she was running her laps. Working as a nurse, I recognized symptoms of fluid. It was peak flu season, so I gave her some medication, and I told her to drink plenty of fluids. Brittany's mother gives her some acetaminophen. And despite feeling exhausted and feverish, Brittany makes the two-hour drive back to her house on campus. There were several of us just sitting in the living room talking, and Brittany came in, didn't really say much to anybody, just walked back to her room, which is not typical for Brittany. She normally is very sociable. Brittany hopes a good night's sleep will help her feel better. But when she gets into bed, her cough gets even worse. 
and I'm constantly up and down all night because I'm spinning. I had so much congestion that I couldn't breathe if I was laying down. I could hear her coughing. She was complaining of being tired and of her chest feeling tight, but it didn't seem out of the ordinary. It seemed like she was just sick. For the rest of the night, Brittany quarantines herself in her room. The next morning, her roommates Nicole and Mary are in the living room. We could hear her coughing from the living room where we were, and it sounded almost like someone was vomiting. I heard her scream from the bathroom. She was calling me in there. Brittany had backed herself against the wall, kind of looking in the general direction of the commode, but not looking in it. She had a look of shock, panic, kind of fear on her face, and she asked me to describe to her what I saw in the commode. When I first looked in the toilet, it looked just like stringy mucus, but then when I looked back, I saw it moving. They looked to me like maggots. Three days after coming down with what she thinks is the flu, college student Brittany McWilliams has started coughing up live worms. Horrified, Brittany calls her mother, Doris, who is a nurse. She was almost hysterical. In the 10 years I've been a nurse, I have never heard of an incident of anyone coughing up any worms. At Doris's insistence, Brittany and her roommates head straight to the emergency room. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
I just remember thinking, that's not right. People shouldn't, this shouldn't be happening. I started praying and I just started saying, you know, Lord, whatever's wrong with me, please help me. As soon as they arrive at the hospital, Mary and Nicole check Brittany in. I went to the bathroom in the hospital because it was hard trying to keep swallowing. So I went in, I spit in the bathroom. In the toilet, Brittany comes face to face with her worst fears. I look down and I see about 20 inch long white worms in the toilet. I didn't know what to do. I was just really, really scared. After the girls tell the nurses about their ailing friend, Nicole goes to check up on Brittany. She was kind of leaned over like she was going to vomit. I actually saw the worms coming out of her. That was pretty scary for me. And I kept saying, this is not ending. Something's really wrong. As soon as I saw the worms in the toilet, I wanted the nurses to see because I knew that they were skeptical. So Nicole takes matters into her own hands. The worm was sitting down at the very bottom of the toilet bowl. I took the cup and I put it down by the edge of the water and I took the spoon and I tried to make the water go so that the worm would float into the cup. Eventually I was able to get the worm into the cup. After I collected the worm, I took the worm up to the nurse's station. A doctor immediately calls Brittany in and examines the specimen. She had never seen a case like that in Brian. Without lab results, the doctors can't make an official diagnosis. They prescribe Brittany a drug that they hope will kill the worms, but they can't be certain. After being done with the doctor, I saw my mom and I was just really relieved and I gave her a hug and I told her, I'm glad you're here. Brittany was very scared. She started crying at that point and she just grabbed on me and started hugging me. Brittany heads home with her mom, but she has more questions than answers. I wanted specific answers like, when will they be gone? How long is this gonna last? Am I gonna be okay? So leaving there and not really having a diagnosis was nerve wracking to me. It was so scary. Two days later, Doris takes Brittany to her primary care physician. When she did the assessment on Brittany, she did hear some congestion in her lungs. She also heard some faint wheezing. The doctor left the room for a minute, and then she came back, and she had a book in her hand, and she said, I think I know what you have. Brittany McWilliams thought she just had the flu until she began coughing up live worms. Desperate to know what's wrong, Brittany goes to her primary care physician. The doctor left the room for a few minutes, and then she came back with a book and said, I think I know what you have. She said that what I had was a worm called Ascaris. Ascaris is a roundworm that infests the human digestive tract. When eggs are swallowed, they hatch into microscopic larvae that make their way from the small intestine into the bloodstream. There, they are carried to the lungs, where they climb up the host's airways and are swallowed back into the intestines. Here, they reach maturity and breed. Usually, adult worms stay in the digestive tract, where they can live undetected for years. But in Brittany's case, it's likely her fever made her body too hot for the worms. In this inhospitable environment, 
these Ascaris worms head for the nearest exit, crawling up her esophagus and into her airways, triggering her cough. My biggest fear was that I was gonna keep coughing up worms. In extreme cases, Ascaris worms can cause secondary infections and intestinal blockages, which can be fatal. But when and how did the worms get inside Brittany? The doctor started asking me all these questions about if I had been out of the country, but I had never left Texas. And he started asking me what I like to eat, just to try to see if something that I ate could have given me the worms. I told him I had been eating a lot of salads. He said, well, I bet you got them from someone illegally fertilizing their salads and that you didn't wash it good enough. Ascaris thrives in human feces, which is sometimes used as fertilizer. Although it's illegal in the United States, accidentally contaminated or imported produce can carry the parasite. The doctor prescribes a powerful antiparasitic drug called albendazole that paralyzes the worms and prevents them from feeding, starving them to death. After three weeks, Brittany is parasite-free. But soon after her recovery, she is diagnosed with asthma. Brittany has adjusted her lifestyle uh, to where now she knows that she can't run like she used to. I feel blessed that I only have asthma because it could have been so much worse. A family is torn apart by a mysterious predator. Mother's instinct told me that something's wrong here. Her eyes were real dilated and twitching really bad. And then she collapsed. Tony and Patty Reed live in Flemingsburg, Kentucky with their two children, Jason and Shannon. In addition to their full-time jobs, Tony and Patty have a working farm. For all the members of the Reed family, farming is a labor of love. We live on an 88-acre farm. It's been in my husband's family for years. Mostly we have beef cattle. It's like a cow-calf operation. I think uh, farming is a uh, good way to raise your children. It teaches them to grow things and uh, teach them to respect the land they live on. Their daughter, Shannon, is especially fond of the farm animals and hopes to follow in the family tradition. She fed her calf hay and gave it a bottle before she went to school every morning. She was very much a country kid. She just enjoyed all the things that a lot of the country children do. The family is preparing for a busy summer. Shannon is turning 16 and planning her birthday party. But two months before the big day, Patty is at home when she receives a letter from Shannon's school nurse. One afternoon, Shannon came home with a note from school that I needed to sign saying that it was okay to give her some sort of painkiller because she was having a headache. To tell you the truth, I didn't really think a whole lot about it. But as days pass, Shannon's headaches persist. A week later, I was like, you still have that headache? And she said, yes, seems like I have a headache every day, Mom. In fact, Shannon is taking painkillers on a daily basis. I just thought that for her to ask for to complain about a headache all within a few days was very unusual because she didn't like to take medicine. Despite the pain, Shannon insists there's nothing seriously wrong. She'd tell me, she said, wonder what is wrong with me? Just made real light of it. I thought maybe it was just, you know, stress from uh, French class because she seemed to be struggling a little bit with her French class. 
Two weeks later, Shannon is getting ready for a special event, her first prom. We were in the bathroom upstairs and I was helping her fix her hair and putting her makeup on. And she's usually not very assertive and just quiet and kind of really easygoing. But she became highly irritated with me that I wasn't doing this right and I had way too much makeup on her. She broke out in tears, which is so not her. She's really just not quite that an emotional person. And for her to become that grumpy with me was unusual. And she's like, I don't want to go. After making all these plans, and wanted to go so bad. At her parents' insistence, Shannon attends the prom. I didn't really think too much about it. We just thought it was just being a rebellious teenager. Patty and Tony continue to keep a close eye on Shannon. The following Monday, their daughter is getting ready for school. They had class pictures for future farmers of America, and they were going to do the pictures before class. As we got ready to go out the door, she asked me how many light switches I seen. And then I said one. And she said, Dad, I see three. I was thinking, you know, how could you see three? I looked at her eyes, and they were kind of dilated and twitching. Moments later, Shannon's triple vision passes. She is determined to make it to her class picture, so Tony drives her to school. But she isn't there for long. A few minutes later, the phone rang, and it was the school saying that Shannon had had an episode. I asked what happened, and she said, well, she passed out. Tony and Patty Reed have spent weeks watching their 15-year-old daughter experience a series of strange symptoms, including severe headaches, behavioral changes, and mood swings. Tony and Patty chalk the symptoms up to the teenage years. But after an alarming bout of triple vision, they get a call from Shannon's school. The school had just called and asked us to come back and pick Shannon up. That She had just collapsed, had a fainting spell. Whenever we went to pick her up, she was pale gray looking. When Patty asks Shannon what happened, she seems disoriented and withdrawn. She said, I remember hearing voices, but I couldn't respond back. Patty takes Shannon straight to the family doctor, who examines her and sends her for further testing. But when they get to the hospital, Shannon appears to be feeling fine. She was joking and cutting up with a couple of the nurses, being her sweet self. So I really felt relieved, thinking, okay, she's seeing a doctor, we're going to find something out. Later that day, the test results come in. Everything they'd done showed that there was nothing wrong. The, the CT scan came back, said there was inflammation, but they said that could be from the headaches. Doctors diagnose Shannon with migraine headaches and prescribe a pain relief medication. As summer approaches, Shannon's symptoms seem to dissipate. It was nearing the end of the school year, and Shannon had her Future Farmers of America banquet. It's an annual event where they elect new officers and the children serve their parents dinner. She seemed to be okay that night. She had brought her plates and set those down and proceeded to go back and get some tea for her dad. And I noticed when she got through the table, the pitcher of tea was shaking. Shannon was shaking bad enough the tea was actually spilling out of the glass. She was really, really shaking bad. Concerned, 
Patty and Tony watched Shannon closely for the rest of the evening. That night when Tony and I got home, we had a conversation. He had suggested then we get a referral for a specialist. Me and some buddies started looking on our insurance to look for a neurologist. I thought there was something wrong with her nervous system. I didn't know. As Patty and Tony call for appointments for Shannon, school is almost out for the summer. Shannon is in good spirits. It was a Friday, the very last day of school. I had the day off. She said, I need to go get some stuff for my scrapbook. The family meets at a nearby store. We were just kind of goofing and talking about the day, and she just seemed real funny and witty and excited. Shannon leaves her parents and goes to the craft section. She was at the crafts area. We was coming, walking through the store, and she comes back through the store. We saw her coming, and she seemed somewhat confused and empty-handed. She didn't have anything in her hand. And I was like, "Hun, did you not find what you were looking for? She came up and got up with us and said, uh, Dad, I can't get my eyes to focus. So I looked at her eyes, and her eyes were real dilated and twitching really bad. And then she collapsed. Tony rushes to catch her. She uh, started seizing. Her whole body started twitching on the floor. I guess I just went off. I think I started screaming. Just look at, you feel like you're outside of this box. Watching all this happen, you can't do nothing about it. Patty and Tony Reed are out shopping with their 15-year-old daughter, Shannon when she suffers a devastating seizure before their eyes. She uh, started seizing. Her whole body started twitching on the floor. I took her in my arms and laid her down gently, like, uh, you know, to keep her from getting her head and stuff. And then I held her head so she wouldn't bang her head against the floor and stuff. Just look at, you feel like you're outside of this box. Watching all this happen, you can't do nothing about it. Paramedics take Shannon in an ambulance to the emergency room. There, doctors struggle to bring the seizure under control, and when Patty and Tony are finally allowed to see Shannon, she's unconscious. She was in a coma. I mean, she was just laying there. She was lifeless. Felt kind of cold, climbing. I actually felt like, okay, my child is sick, but at the same time, I had this comfort, like, okay, she's in good hands and it's gonna be okay. That was Friday night uh, when we arrived up there late, and they grilled us half the night on what could happen to her. Doctors suspect that Shannon has an infection, but all of her tests come up negative, and nothing in the case history reveals what could be causing the seizures. Even though I couldn't hug her or none of that stuff, I could hold her hand. She seemed to be comforted by us being there, so I'd never like to leave her. The following day, doctors continued to run tests on Shannon, taking her blood and spinal fluid, searching for clues. They felt like it was a viral infection, some kind of a virus, but their test was not showing what it was. It was showing nothing. They called in specialists. They called in neurology specialists. They called in every specialist they could find in the hospital, and they just weren't finding anything. Nothing in their test showed that there was anything wrong. On Sunday morning, Shannon's doctors are still searching for a cause when they make a horrifying discovery. The infection has ravaged Shannon's internal organs, 
her kidneys and liver are shutting down, and her muscle tissue has degenerated. Something is attacking her from within. Sunday morning, I remember the doctor saying that her heart was in that of a shape of an 80-some-year-old, and that her muscle tissue was like that of an overworked bodybuilder. Doctors place her on life support, and the search for a diagnosis becomes even more urgent. But Shannon is fading away. She actually had her last heart failure while they were doing the test. They did come in and ask if we wanted to be there, and I said, no, come get me when it's over. I don't want to watch my child die. Minutes later, doctors inform Patty and Tony that Shannon has lost the fight. I guess I screamed and cried so loud that they had to shut the doors for down the hall. I I can't go home. I can't go home without her. I mean, it was kind of like we just lost her for no reason. Doctors order an autopsy, but the results are inconclusive. The infection that killed Shannon remains a mystery. Then, two months after Shannon's death, Patty gets a phone call. The phone rang, and it was her doctor. An examination of Shannon's brain reveals what killed her. He said, you know, it looked like she contracted rabies. Rabies is a virus transmitted by saliva, which enters the body through breaks in the skin. The virus traveled through Shannon's muscle tissue to reach her peripheral nervous system. It then progressed through Shannon's nerves towards her brain, leading to changes in behavior, headaches, and seizures. Once the rabies virus reaches the brain, the survival rate drops to nearly zero. But how did Shannon contract this deadly virus? The first thing you think is, oh God, I've let my child get bit by something and we couldn't place anything. There was a lot of potential places that she could have gotten it, and we all have our own theories. She petted every wild animal that she could get her hands on, every dog or cat. So I suspect we'll never know. No cure exists for an advanced infection, but treatment before or soon after exposure can stop an infection in the early stages. Having pets vaccinated against rabies is one of the best ways to stop the virus from spreading. And getting medical attention for any wild animal bite is crucial. Today, Patty and Tony Reed work to increase rabies awareness. We want to get rabies awareness out. It's a disease that can be stopped. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website animalplanet.com slash monsters inside me. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping 
and 365-day returns.